There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if, any, if someone from the dead that goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Um, so when Dan called me and I learned that I was going to be able to speak before the church today, uh, first off, I was surprised because uh, pastors don't often give the pulpit up quite so easily. Uh, so I was uh, impressed with that just out of the chute. And then Dan said, and the, the passage for this morning is going to be the rich man and Lazarus. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm down here raising money for the poor, and I drew the one scripture where Jesus says, you're going to burn in hell if you don't give money to the poor. <laughs> and I told this to my wife, and she was like, seriously, you're going to do that? Uh, and I was like, okay, uh, yeah, I'll probably go a little bit of a different way with that. Um, so, so instead of focusing on why the rich man ends up in eternal torment, uh, which is not giving money to the poor. Um, I want to focus more broadly on Jesus' love of parables. Um, I mean, Jesus was constantly teaching in parables. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. He did it so often that in Matthew 13, the disciples actually stopped to question him about it. In Matthew 13, it says, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Um, now, I've watched The Chosen a few times, and I think the, the conversation went more like this. Uh, uh, Jesus, uh, what's with all these cryptic stories? Nobody knows what you're talking about. And Jesus answers the question of why he keeps telling these cryptic stories with an even more cryptic reference uh, to the prophet Isaiah. It was actually so cryptic that I had to leave 
my favorite NIV and go to the message so that I could understand what he was saying. Um, and according to the message, what he said is, Jesus answers his disciples by saying, look, whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there's no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge the people toward a welcome awakening. In their present state, they can stare until doomsday and not see it, listen until they're blue in the face and not get it. I don't want Isaiah's forecast to be repeated all over again. Your ears are open, but you don't hear anything. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. The people are stupid. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. So they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. But you, you have God-blessed eyes. Eyes that see. And you have God-blessed ears. Ears that hear. A lot of people, prophets and humble believers among them, would have given anything to see what you are seeing and hear what you are hearing, but they never had the chance. Jesus really liked this eyes and ears theme, and so when he would tell a parable, he would say this cryptic story that nobody understood, and he would say, he who has ears, let him hear. And what Jesus was saying was, when I tell parables, people can come to the truth if and when they're ready. They can hear what they need to hear when the, scripture, when the Spirit makes them ready to hear it. I mean, if you look at this morning's passage, right? Like, it depends on where your heart's at, what you hear. You could hear that you should give money to the poor. Like, you could hear that. You could also hear that there's actually an impassable cavern, chasm between heaven and hell. You could also hear that even Jesus' resurrection, even the rising from the dead, is not going to be enough to convince some people. Or you could really hear nothing and be like, that's a weird story. I don't really understand what he's doing there. And Jesus tells the story to us, and he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And Jesus was constantly telling parables and what's interesting to a guy like me that started an organization called Redeem is that almost all of those parables were stories of redemption. I mean, as you might imagine, when you start an organization called Redeem, you think redemption is kind of a big deal. Um, so I'd like to take actually a minute to talk about what redemption means from a biblical sense. The word redeem originally comes from the Latin with the prefix re, which means back, and the root word demir, which means buy. So if you squish those together, the word redeem means to buy back. And with that ancient Latin origin, the word has been used for a lot of things over the centuries. And most of them actually were much more transactional than religious, even though we think of it in religious terms today. If you were a slave trader, the word redeem meant to buy back a slave's freedom. If you were an ancient Israelite, it meant to restore your next of kin's family after death or destitution. If you were a nobleman, to redeem meant to regain your honor after an insult or an embarrassment. If you were a stock trader, 
To redeem meant to recover the cash value that you paid for a stock or a bond. And if you were a sports writer, to redeem meant to restore your team's glory to loss after a humiliating defeat. And so if you mash all of those usages together, you can see that in some, what redeem means is to take something that has been lost, broken, stolen, or destroyed, and to pay the bill to restore it to be everything that it was created to be. I'm going to say that again. To redeem is to take something that has been lost, broken, stolen, or destroyed, and to pay the bill to restore it to everything that it was originally created to be. And for Jesus, this idea of redemption was kind of a big deal. In fact, it was actually the whole deal. Because if you look at the whole of Jesus' life, or the whole arc of human history, it's just one long story of redemption. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in the earth, and it was good, right? It was up here. It was good. Men and women lived in harmony with God, with each other, and with all of creation. And then sin entered the picture, and all of that goodness was lost, broken, stolen, and destroyed. And it was no longer good. Men and women were separated from God. They were separated from each other. They were separated from creation. And ever since then, the entire arc of human history has been this long, painful, slow, back and forth, two steps forward, one step back slog of redemption that is ultimately pointing us back to the second coming of Christ, where there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and where we will all finally be everything that we were originally created to be. That's it. That squiggly line, that's the entire Bible in one paragraph. And in Jesus' parables, you hear him telling that same story of redemption over and over and over and over again. When Jesus announced the start of his ministry, he didn't come to the pulpit and describe the seven steps of salvation. He told parables from Isaiah 16. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to preach the gospel. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, release for the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to restore those things to what they were meant to be, he who has ears, let him hear. And then when John the Baptist came and said, are, sent his disciples and said, are you really the Messiah? Jesus didn't explain the Trinity. Again, he went back to parables, right? You go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind, they receive sight. The lame, they're walking. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news, the gospel has been preached to the poor. He who has ears, let him hear. Then you throw in the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. Over and over and over, Jesus is telling the same story 
where something really, really beautiful was created. And then it was lost. It was broken, it was stolen, it was destroyed. And somebody's love worked to restore it to everything that it was created to be. And it wasn't just Jesus that liked to tell these stories. The God who wrote all of the scriptures was telling the same story. If you look back at actually the history of the Bible, you hear the same story over and over again. Whether it's the history of a nation, whether it's an individual person, you see that same story. Something good is created. Sin comes in and ruins everything. And through a long process, that thing is redeemed and restored to everything it was created to be. I mean, take the children of Israel. God promises Abraham, you are going to be the father of a great nation that is going to bless the whole world. And then his offspring follow other gods. And the Israelites get centuries of wandering and war and oppression. But through all of that, God is working to bring them back to himself, to restore those things. And ultimately, everything that was promised to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus. Or take Moses as part of that story. He was spared from genocide as a young child. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. It looked like he was born to lead, right? And he's an idiot. And he grasps at power too fast. He kills an Egyptian, and then he has to flee to Midian. But God is in that. And over the course of the next four decades, he is molding and shaping and restoring Moses to himself until he does what he was created to do. Or take the restoration of Peter. Jesus goes to Peter and says, you are the rock on which I'm going to build this church. I've created you for this purpose. And Peter is an idiot. He's like, I don't know him. But Jesus was still there. And after his resurrection, he restores Peter back to himself and ultimately makes him the leader of this thing that we call the church. These are all echoes of the same story of a God who is redeeming all things. They're parables that give us handles to make sure that we understand that we serve a God of redemption who is at work in the macro and in the micro to restore us to himself. They help us understand our own lives and the arc that we are on, which looks a whole lot like that. I was born to live in harmony with the God of the universe. That's what I was created to do. But I am an idiot. I chase after other gods. I grasp power. I deny Jesus. And yet he's in it. Slowly, painfully restoring me to himself through scripture, through the spirit, through my family, through my friends. And one day, I'm going to be everything that I was created to be. I will live in perfect relationship with God. That is the good news. That's the gospel. We serve a God of redemption who is working to redeem each of us to himself. And at the same time, he is inviting us to join him in his work of redemption in a hurting world. 
My old pastor used to say this every week. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. We serve a God of redemption who is at work right now restoring each one of us to himself. And at the same time, he is calling us to serve with him, being agents of redemption in a hurting world. And I have found that there is nowhere in Scripture that that call is more clear than in the constant thread of caring for widows and orphans in their distress. I mean, God loves a good parable, and you don't get a much better parable than a redeemed widow. I mean, God created families, and they are this beautiful thing that is designed to protect and provide, to make sure that you are safe and cared for. And then death comes along and tears that apart. And then sin piles on because men are often terrible. And they exploit that and they abuse. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Because God's people are called to step into that situation, to do the hard work, to pay the bill, to restore that widow to everything that she was created to have. You see that call woven all through Scripture. You go all the way back to the Levitical law. God created this idea of the kinsman redeemer, where God required a man's next of kin to actually marry his brother's wife to ensure that she would be protected and provided for and that his brother's line would continue. Now that seems weird to us, but what he was doing is he was ensuring that that would be restored. And then through the story of Ruth and Boaz, God extended that call from the next of kin actually to the extended family. If you remember from the scripture, Boaz wasn't the next of kin. There was somebody else who was closer and he wasn't doing his job. And so Boaz stepped in and he restored that family and he ensured that that family line continued. That family line that happened to be the line of Jesus. And then through the prophets, God extended that call even further. You can't read a book of, that ends in Aya or Ea and not run across a widow or an orphan. <laughs> and in Isaiah, the first chapter, the prophet makes it very, very clear. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to seek justice. I want you to rescue the oppressed. And in case you don't know what that means, I want you to defend the fatherless and to plead for the widow. And then finally, in the New Testament, God extends that even further from the nation of Israel to every believer in the body of Christ. According to James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to practice this. And that's why I founded Redeem. Redeem exists to care for widows and orphans in their distress. It exists to defend the fatherless and to plead for the widow. It exists to step in when families don't. It exists to serve as a kinsman redeemer for some of the world's most vulnerable widows and orphans. And ultimately, it exists to tell parables. of a God who is redeeming each of us. Because the reality is, if you lose your husband in the developing world, your biggest and most immediate fear is not hunger, 
It's not thirst. It's not disease. Your biggest fear is violent men. And if you happen to live in rural Uganda, the thing that you are most afraid of is that those violent men are going to come in tonight and they are going to drive you out of the home that you live in and off the land that you depend on for survival and to leave you for dead. This next slide is a woman named Grace. She was 27 years old when her husband died. She had five kids and was HIV positive. On the day she buried her husband, her brother-in-law, her husband's brother, came and pushed Grace and all five of her kids into their house. He locked the door and he got out torches. And he said, you can either write all this off to me, give me everything you and your husband worked for, or you can stay and we're going to burn it down with you inside. Our mission is to protect women like Grace and children like her kids. What we do is we engage in casework where our investigators partner with local police officers to identify victims and to arrest their abusers and hold them accountable. Our attorneys partner with local prosecutors to convict these men of their crimes and to actually restore those families back to their homes. And then we have social workers that walk beside our clients, loving them, caring for them, meeting their needs so that when they are safe again, they'll be strong enough to flourish. With the help of a casework team, Grace was able to actually testify against her brother-in-law and have him removed from the home. She was able to return to that land, which she sold and then bought another piece of land in a place that was safer. She built that house that she's sitting in front of with her bare hands. She carried every single one of those bricks. And then she started a farm that not only fed those kids, but it also paid for their education. Grace began to once again experience the life that had been lost, broken, stolen, and destroyed. She began to experience the life that she was created to have. She got to live a true redemption story. And the best part of Grace's story is that it doesn't actually end with Grace. We launched Redeem's first casework team in October of 2020. And since then, we have put 400 women and children back in their homes. We have provided legal services, counseling services, rehabilitative services to over 1,200 beneficiaries. And we've created a deterrent impact that has brought protection to thousands and thousands of others. Each one of these women and children is a living parable telling anybody who's got ears to hear about a God of redemption who is working to redeem each of us to himself and at the same time inviting each one of us to serve as agents of redemption in a hurting world. I go to some churches and they say, well, do you preach the gospel at Redeem? And I just like <laughs> shake my head. I'm like, this actually is the gospel. This is the good news. We serve a God of redemption. We are his hands and feet. And he's going to redeem all things. He who has ears, let him hear. The other thing that people ask me is they're like, well, why, why do you get so fired up about this whole kinsman redeemer thing? And I say, well, let me tell you a little parable. 
this next slide is a guy named Kenneth. Oop, there he is. Kenneth grew up in a small town in rural Nebraska. He was a farmhand and a truck driver during the Great Depression. Uh, in his late 20s, he married a woman named Glena. Uh, he and Glena had two sons. Their names were Gary and Kent. You're going to need to know all these names, so keep very close attention. Um, one day when Gary was five and Kent was just a couple of weeks old, uh, Glena was uh, warming Kent's bath water on the stove. And she had the window open and the curtains were blowing. And the fire jumped from the stove to the curtains, the curtains to the wall. Um, and in just a couple of seconds, the whole house was up. Kenneth saw the flames, tried to fight the fire, failed. Glena, and Glena didn't make it out. She threw Kent out the window and then died. And in that very instant, their lives were lost, broken, stolen, destroyed. Kenneth was a complete wreck. He hadn't been able to save his wife. How was he going to raise these kids? And so a few months later, still in a trough of depression, Kenneth proposed to Glena's younger daughter, Bonnie. Bonnie was 20 years old. She was a country school teacher. She was really smart, really energetic, had a big future in front of her, and was not particularly attracted to Kenneth, uh, which was fair because he was 14 years older than her. He had two little kids. Uh, he was in an emotional stupor, and he was married to her sister just like a couple of months ago, and that's weird. Also, Kenneth was not very romantic. I understand that his proposal sounded something like, Bonnie, help me raise these boys. <laughs> Bonnie had every reason in the world to tell Kenneth, uh, sorry, no, no, thank you. That sounds horrible. And also, that's weird. But she didn't. She didn't. She chose to love and care for her sister's wounded widower. She chose to protect and provide for her sister's children. She chose to ensure that her sister's line would continue and it was not a straight line. It was long, slow, painful. Gary didn't like her. It was weird. Mixed families are hard. But eventually, Bonnie grew to love Kenneth. And over the next decade, they had four more kids together, including my dad. the goofy one. So I'm here speaking to you this morning because my grandma chose to be a kinsman redeemer. Their story is not super romantic. It's pretty transactional. 
and it's weird. Like my family tree doesn't do the things that other family trees do, and it makes me worry that my parents, my kids are going to walk funny. Um, but to the one who has ears to hear, I think it's a beautiful parable. Like Ruth's story, like Moses' story, like Peter's story, it's one more echo of God's character, pointing us to the story that God is working to redeem all of us to himself. And no matter how lost, broken, stolen, or destroyed you might be, we can all be redeemed. And this morning, my prayer for all of us is that we would do the same thing. That each of us would live our lives as parables of God's redemptive plan and purpose. That we would find the things in this world that are lost, broken, stolen, and destroyed. That we would find the widow. That we would find the orphan. That we would find the foreigner. That we would find Lazarus laying in the dirt, being licked by dogs. And that we would step in and be kinsmen redeemers to each and every one of them. For their benefit, for your benefit, and for the benefit of anybody who has ears to hear. Because if we tell those parables, we can trust the Spirit to let them know the good news. So thank you very much.